Both Jesus and Paul made a big deal out of relationships when Jesus instituted the Lord's table. He washed his disciples' feet. This is how much I love you, he said. And I want you to love one another. And I want you to serve one another. But Luke gives us a bit of insight into that meal. He says that while Jesus was teaching earlier on, the disciples weren't listening. They were having a discussion about which one of them was the greatest. So you can imagine as they uh, were sitting there listening to Jesus and watching him wash their feet and all that, they might have had some embarrassment about this whole idea of they weren't really loving each other. They were jockeying for position, much like the rest of the world. But Jesus said, relationships matter. Your relationships with one another matter. Your relationships with the world matter. Relationships are important. And so as we think about how we relate with one another, we ask, is there a most important relationship? You know, some would say, well, yeah, I think the husband-wife relationship. That's a crucial one. They don't get along, not much else works. So you've got to have a good relationship with your kids. Or some people have that special friend that's, that's just almost a, a, a lifesaver for them. It's somebody they can talk to, somebody they can weep with, somebody they can rejoice with, all kinds of relationships. But is there one that we must nurture? Regardless of any other relationship, is there one that is the most important? And the scriptures indicate that there is a most important relationship. It is our relationship with God's Holy Spirit. You say, I thought it would be with Jesus. Well, Jesus is the Spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit is Jesus' Spirit. Jesus said, I am leaving, but I will send my Spirit into the world. And so God the Father, God the Son, choose to relate with us through the Holy Spirit. And that began on the day of Pentecost, which we talked about last week. This whole idea that the Holy Spirit came, filled the believers, those who had confessed Jesus as their Savior. He filled them. He, was, he anointed them. He became part of their life. And any time a person receives Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, the Holy Spirit comes into their life, fills them, abides in them. And cultivating that relationship is the key to any other relationship. Because how I relate to the Holy Spirit and how I allow the Holy Spirit to relate to me shapes all my relationships. And the reason my relationship with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's relationship with me shapes all my relationships is because it shapes me. There are many references to the Holy Spirit. I, I referred to one in our communion prayer, the uh, fruit of the Spirit. Listen to what the Holy Spirit does in a person's life. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, mercy, goodness, self-control. All of those things that have to do with how we relate to others and how we relate to ourselves and how we relate to God. So this relationship with the Holy Spirit is crucial. And it began, as we saw last week, from Acts chapter 2, at the day of Pentecost. This was the birth of the church. It was the, 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 the promise that Jesus had promised. The promise that John the Baptist had promised. John said, I baptize you with water, but after me comes one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said to his disciples, not many days from now, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and power will come upon you to live a better life and to conduct a ministry that I have called you to do, to be my witnesses, to make disciples throughout the world. You cannot do that without the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. But this whole idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit, this whole idea of the Holy Spirit coming on the human life has two dangers. One danger is that we make too much of it the other danger is that we make too little of it. There are those who say that this baptism of the Holy Spirit is a second blessing. It's a second experience that every Christian must have. That people become Christians, they accept Jesus as their personal Savior, and then after that, you must have another experience with God where the Spirit baptizes you, and that's when you receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit but until you have that, you are sort of a, a, a second-class Christian. Others say, no, that happened at Pentecost, and the miracles, and the speaking in tongues, and the sign miracle, all that stuff, that's all past, and that's never going to happen again. And there are people out there who speak in tongues, and they shouldn't be speaking in tongues. They're making too much of the Holy Spirit. So either one of these ends of the spectrum can get us into problems. And so I'd like to talk this morning a bit about what the Bible tells us about this whole concept, this whole idea of our relationship with the Holy Spirit and how this event at Pentecost uh, affects us today, has affected the church ever since that moment at Pentecost. This is a dangerous sermon I'm preaching. <laughs> No preacher in his right mind would do this. <laughs> That's why you got me. So if you look at Acts chapter 2, part of that phenomenon, where am I? Acts chapter 2. Part of that phenomenon, that, that, that event that occurred, uh, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. A sound like the, like the rushing wind uh, was heard. It filled the house. These... these appearances of, it looked like fire, like tongues of fire, landed on each one of them. Luke makes careful point there. Each one of them. And they spoke, it says, in tongues. And then as people heard that noise and saw this phenomenon of these people speaking in these tongues, it says they all came rushing together. And it says the Holy Spirit gave the new Christians, these, these believers, the 120 Christians who were gathered, the followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit gave them an ability to speak in other tongues. And it says each of these people, and there are 17 language groups mentioned, 
by Luke in Acts chapter 2, who had gathered there together in Jerusalem. And it said, each one of them heard one of these Christians speaking to them in their own language. Verse 5. Verse 8, it repeats that. He said, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language, in our, the language to which we were born. We hear them declaring the wonders of our God in our own tongues. So it's very clear that this was not some ecstatic heavenly language in this case, in this instance. Luke makes it very clear that these people heard the disciples speaking to them in their own language. It's a great miracle. But it was an evidence of the power and the coming of the Holy Spirit and that, that this whole idea that, that the disciples that the Jesus had called were to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel in every tongue, in every language, in every dialect, throughout the world. That the message of Christ was to be spoken. And so this, this evidence that the Holy Spirit was going to fulfill God's work was to overcome the great language that these guys would automatically have thought about. I can't, I can't talk to people about Jesus. And God said, don't limit my power. My Holy Spirit will enable you to, this, to, to spread the gospel regardless of the barriers. Now, some have said that needs to be repeated, that Pentecost moment. And, but the, the similar circumstance, a similar event occurred three other times in the book of Acts. So what we're going to first of all do is explore how does Acts, how does Luke in the book of Acts tell us about this phenomenon of the Holy Spirit coming on people? Well, the next time it occurred, after Acts chapter 2, the next time it occurred was Acts chapter 8. And there were a group of uh, Philip, the evangelist Philip, the, one of the, one of the uh, uh, seven deacons who was appointed in Acts chapter 6, uh, went to Samaria, and he preached the gospel there. And the people received the gospel, and he baptized them with water. But Philip wasn't an apostle. And so the disciple, the apostles in Jerusalem heard about it. They sent Peter and John, the two uh, most prominent of the apostles, to Samaria. And the, Peter and John went there and, and met with the people, heard their testimony, says they laid their hands on them, and they had the same experience that happened at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came on them, and they, and, and, uh, they spoke in, in language, in tongues. We don't know if at that instance, it doesn't tell us if they were a, a heavenly language or actual language, but they, the event was repeated. And the question is, well, how come if the, if, if the disciples were baptized at the moment the Holy Spirit came on them, how come there was a delay here in, in Samaria? And most people believe because the, it was a sign, it was an evidence that the Samaritans coming to Christ was a legitimate experience. The Jews, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem were absolutely convinced that only Jews could be Christians. Or any Gentile who wanted to become a Christian had to become a Jew first. And so to validate this, that, that the, the Samaritans, the Samaritans can be Christians? 
Now, I get it, Gentiles, they're out there, but Samaritans, they're, they're renegade Jews. And so to give evidence, to support this fact that the gospel had jumped this huge cultural barrier and that, that, that Samaritans could become Christians, God duplicated this miracle that he did at Pentecost. The next time we see it is Acts chapter 10, when God led Peter to the home of Cornelius, a Roman centurion, because uh, Cornelius was praying and asking that God make clear to him these, this, this yearning in his heart to know God better. So God went to, gave supernaturally led Peter to go to Cornelius's house. We read in chapter 10 that Peter told him the gospel. They received the gospel, and immediately this same phenomenon of the Holy Spirit falling on them and them speaking in, in languages occurred. Chapter 11, that occurred in chapter 10 of Acts. Chapter 11, uh, Luke records that when Peter went back to Jerusalem, after these Gentiles had become Christians, Peter went back to Jerusalem, and the Jews, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, got on his case. How dare you go spread the gospel to those, those, those Gentiles? They can't become Christians. And Peter said, you know what happened? I went over there. I told them the gospel. They accepted Jesus as their Savior. And the same thing that happened to us at Pentecost happened to them. Now, if the same thing that happened to us on Pentecost happened to them, who am I to stand in the way of God's work among the Gentiles? And it says, and the Jews all relaxed and said, hey, must be cool. So the evidence, the fact that what happened to us at Pentecost happened again in Samaria says it's okay for the gospel to jump the first cultural barrier to the Samaritans. And then when Peter went out actually to the Gentiles and preached the gospel and they became Christians, it was a valid, was it true? Peter said, same thing happened to us, happened to them. And then a fourth time is in Acts chapter 19 when Paul went to Ephesus. And there was a group there of, it says a group of disciples who had been baptized with the baptism of John. And, and Paul said, have you received the Holy Spirit? They said, we didn't know what the Holy Spirit is. Well, we were baptized with John's baptism. He told them the gospel. They accepted Jesus as their Savior, and they had the same phenomenon that happened at Pentecost happen to them there in Ephesus those years later. Those are the only four occurrences of this phenomenon of people coming to Christ and the Holy Spirit falling on them and them having this experience, this ecstatic experience, this miraculous experience of speaking in languages. That's legitimate. That's true. But there are those who take those instances and say that should happen to every Christian. If you are a Christian and you have never had this experience and you've never spoken in languages or tongues, you are not a completed Christian. You don't have the full gospel. And there are people whose whole ministry, whose whole life, is teaching people that this is really the only thing that matters. And there are people who, instead of becoming involved in the, the whole counsel of God, they spend their life just focused, waiting, praying for this experience to happen. 
On two occasions, I have been accosted by people who, have, in one case, I was teaching for a, a mission. The student evaluation said I was the most effective teacher, the best teacher, all that stuff. I taught two different occasions. They came to me and said, have you been baptized in the Spirit? I said, absolutely. I've had the second blessing. I've had, I've had the first blessing, the second blessing, the third blessing. Get what I want every day. But they were referring specifically, have you had this invasion of the Holy Spirit in your life as a second experience, and have you spoken in tongues? And I said, no. And they said, are you willing to pray for it? I said, I've been praying for it all my life. If God has anything more for me than I've had, I want it. I constantly pray, God, give me the fullness. Give me anything you have. If there's something in my life that's blocking the power of your spirit, remove it. I want all of it. But I've never had that experience. They said, then you, we, we can't have you teaching for us. You cannot teach for us anymore because God cannot use you in our ministry until you have had this blessing. Now that's a, and, and, and there are other situations similar. I'm not condemning these folks. I'm just saying that if that's your whole scope, you're waiting for the second blessing. It can get in the way of being involved in the things that God does to cultivate the spiritual life. Of prayer and meditation and service and fellowship. Just focusing on this one thing, praying over and over again to have this experience. That's what I mean by some people take it too seriously. Now, is there a case to be made? There are many people who teach that. The reason we, I, and many theologians don't teach that is because in the book of Acts, we have only those four experiences. And in those four experiences, except for the, the uh, Samaritan one, the Holy Spirit came on the believers immediately. There was no second blessing. At Pentecost, all the believers received the Holy Spirit. There weren't those who were saved and received the Spirit, and then later some others had to come and ask for a second blessing. It was universal. When, the, when Peter and John laid their hands on the folks in Samaria, all the believers were filled with the Spirit. In chapter 10, when Peter spread, shared the gospel with the Cornelius' household, all of them received the Spirit. There was no second blessing. There weren't some of them who were left out who had to come back and be baptized a second time and, and have that experience. In chapter 19, all 12 of these men who had been baptized with John's baptism, when they accepted Jesus, they all received the Holy Spirit. This, is, this happens, this baptism of the Spirit occurs at the moment of salvation. It is not a second experience in the book of Acts. If we go to the epistles, oh, pardon me, one other point in the book of Acts, 13 other churches were planted during the era covered by the book of Acts. 
that we know about. Luke wrote about 13 other churches. Never in any of those churches was there this experience that happened at Pentecost or Samaria or Cornelius' house or Ephesus. These people became Christians. They were baptized with the Spirit at the moment they became believers. It didn't happen again after the book of Acts in that same way. Third, Paul wrote 13 letters. The general epistles add eight more letters. There's 21 letters written to churches, churches that were having issues, doctrinal issues, moral issues, relational issues, all kinds of issues. And if what we're being told is that this, this second blessing, this baptism of the Spirit, which is a second experience, is essential, why did Paul or Peter or John or Jude or James or the writer of Hebrews, never in any of these churches where they were writing to address all these problems, did they ever say, the problem with you folks is you haven't been baptized with the Spirit? The problem with your church is you became Christians, you're born again, but you haven't had the second blessing. And you need to pray to get this second blessing, and then things in your church will get better. Nobody ever said it. It's an argument from silence, but a pretty powerful argument from silence. So it seems to me that, that instead of us focusing all our attention on having a second blessing, we need to become involved in the total blessing of God because the Holy Spirit is in us. We need to be praying for the, the uh, fruit of the Spirit. We need to be praying for the gifts of the Spirit, all the gifts of the Spirit to be uh, uh, active in us. Uh, then we go to the epistles. Specifically, we mentioned that, that none of them ever mentioned that or urged, counseled, or commanded that this second blessing have to take place in their church. But we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, and Paul writing to the Corinthian church, which was the most troubled of all his churches in terms of uh, moral issues and spiritual issues and doctrinal issues. And in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, which is here, right between 11 and 13, there it is. Uh, Paul wrote to them, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ, for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. So Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, members who had moral, ethical, behavioral, theological, doctrinal issues, had been baptized with the Holy Spirit. All of us, every Christian, if you have been born again, if you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, at the moment when you were born again, when Jesus regenerated you, He gave you His Holy Spirit. Do not spend your life begging and praying that you could be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now Paul wrote to that same church at Corinth about speaking in tongues. And he said, many of you are speaking in tongues. 
and prophesying. And that's legitimate. He said, do not forbid anyone from speaking in tongues. If it's a, something that you, between you and God, do not prohibit it. Do not quench the Spirit, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5. Do not tamp down the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. What we do find over and over again in the epistles is this idea of being filled with the Spirit. Acts 2, that's actually what the language Luke used in the, at, at, uh, on the day of Pentecost. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak. Acts chapter 4, verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God. Uh, Stephen, Acts chapter 7, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said. Acts 9, 17, Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. This is part of Paul's conversion experience. Ananias said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 13, then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said. So it seems that the Holy Spirit fills us. It's, it, it, we read in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came mightily upon Saul. The Holy Spirit was poured out on David. And we read these words, poured out, filled, descended, this God gave. So this whole idea of, of how we relate to the Holy Spirit is to be praying that we will be filled constantly with the Spirit of God. Ephesians 5, verse 17, Paul wrote to the Ephesians, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be drunk with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Once again, speaking to one another. Did you notice every one of those events where the Holy Spirit filled someone, and they said, and they spoke. They ministered. They shared. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So my friends, don't, don't wait for something to fall on you. Cultivate your relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. Spend time meditating in the Scriptures. Spend time in prayer. Spend time with one another confessing our sins to one another, nurturing one another, encouraging one another, being open to this, certainly praying for the fullness of the Spirit and cultivating those habits, those spiritual disciplines that the Holy Spirit uses to help us grow, to help us serve God, to help us serve one another, to help us love God, to help us love one another.
to help us know God, to help us know one another, to help us trust God, help us trust one another. It's not a one-time event, this Holy Spirit business. It's a lifetime of cultivating a relationship, of praying to be filled with the Spirit of God, moment by moment, day by day. That's our prayer. Don't ever let another day go by when you say, Oh, Holy Spirit, fill me with yourself. Exercise the gift that you gave me by your power. Help me make a difference in the world. And cultivate in me your fruit, your fruit, so that I am becoming the person you recreated me to be when you gave me the privilege of being born, and born again, born anew. And you, Holy Spirit, baptized me in Christ, entered my life, and added a whole new dimension. Make that happen. That's my prayer. It's my prayer for me. It's my prayer for you. It's my prayer for the church on this World Communion Sunday that we would once again experience the fullness of the Spirit. Everything God has to offer is yours and mine through the fullness of His Spirit.